0: Yeah, you're going to push God. Oh, yo, got it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today is Kathy Pollard, and she has a wonderful new book called Eating Does It? Healing Ourselves and Our Planet With Food. Please welcome her to the show. You know, this is the first time you've been on. I can't believe it yeah it is and thank you for having me AJ I'm so My thrilled pleasure. to be here we go way back not only do we, we do well you attended the same high school in Van Nuys California we just had a little reunion singing our uh whatever they call the alma mater song and but AJ remembers from her high school is that impressive we went to the same high school we didn't know that. We didn't know each other then, but I mean, it's funny how, you know, I, I that's why I'm so good at game shows. I mean, I remember useless trivia, like the song to my high school, and you didn't even apparently know that there was a song. No. <laughs> Are you going to sing it for us,
1: Chef AJ, um, your uh, high school
0: alma mater? Maybe at the end, but it's, it's. I don't have a great singing voice, but it, it's funny that I did remember it, you know, it's, it's quite, a, quite a beautiful song. I don't very impressive. I Interesting, because I went to the University of Pennsylvania, yet I don't remember that song for some reason, so who knows? Interesting.
1: We used to see and each- I lived there for 26 years and I just
0: moved from Pennsylvania. Well, we used to see each other all the time at Summerfest and all kinds of things, and we haven't seen each other for years. But I'm just congratulations on having this. Thank book. you. Um, it's not only a great book, it will talk about the subject matter. We got Jane, how'd you get James Cromwell to endorse it? That's amazing, right? Oh, there. that's a
1: backstory I can tell you, but he's he's a lovely person and uh an activist in good causes and Mm-hmm. Um, I think a vegetarian, maybe vegan at heart. I, I don't remember, but there's, a, a he's, he's actually my, um, ex-cousin-in-law. So mm-hmm. there's a sort that, of there. Well, that's so, very cool. Well, still, it's wonderful. It.
0: And in just, we'll talk about the content in the book and you're going to also do a PowerPoint, but there's some great recipes in, and I actually did try one of them. It was really easy because I love millet, the cauliflower millet mash.
1: Yes. Thank you for testing. I had I had a small army of, of recipe testers and Chef A.G. was very kind and he was one of
0: them. Well, listen, so, I know that um, I obviously know you and love you, but maybe some of my audience isn't familiar with you. So before you dive into the book, just tell us a little bit about your story. You know, when you became vegan, why? Because you're you're somewhat of an activist too.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, well, in my own way, I guess, but my, my husband and I were Going vegetarian, of course, we read John Robbins' book uh, way back in the eighties. We just diet for a new America, and that sort of did it. Uh, that 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 set us on the path towards vegetarianism, and and it was before I had children. That my I have launched children We're in the thirties now, and um, AJ remembers them very kindly. Them both. Anyway, we read that book, went vegetarian. Of course, years later, moved to Pennsylvania. Uh went started going to the North American Vegetarian Conference, the, which is the vegan conference now, which uh, AJ referred to. Heard the you know forefathers of our plant-based movement, including Dr. T. Colin Campbell, several times there, called the SSD Brenda Davis. And of course, I read um Dr. Campbell's book, uh The China Study. And that was it. That put me on, that was my life. I knew, and it was such a well-written, succinctly, clearly laid out uh, book that it, uh, it it put me on the path of nutrition, got a nutrition degree, and was one of his first, turned out to be one of his first instructors for his uh, plant-based certification uh, program through eCornell in plant-based nutrition. Uh, and so I taught nutrition, and I uh, have not looked back since. And it has been, and it's done a lot of research on the health benefits of plant based nutrition, plant based diets. And it's just become a passion. And then what I've learned is how important it is for beyond our own personal health, but the health of our communities and our our uh, society at large and our planet. And of course, uh, I happen to be married to a climatologist, a uh, paleoclimatologist who has done, you know, decades of research on the effects of uh, glaciers melting into the sea and sea level rise. And so we've had countless conversations through the years about these, you know, parallels of our disparate and and distinct uh, uh, special um, expertise but how there are many um, intersections as well as parallels in these two in these two subjects. So that's a little bit about about my background and how I got to write this book. Okay, well, so so many
0: questions. But first, how many years ago was that? And your husband just wanted to join you right away. No resistance
1: to to being vegetarian, vegan, and vegetarian. Yeah, mm-hmm. we did it together. No resistance. It was our choice of just through our own research and reading and. And um, ethics, because we both felt the same way as we read through the this the research, which is uh, there's no need to eat animals, and you know these animals they have feelings uh, and interests and uh, desire to to live on this earth in the best that they can, just like we do. So for all those reasons, there's so many reasons. It's so great because you know
0: so I, I hear so many people because their family there's so much resistance. How long ago was that when
1: you made the switch? Oh, to to, to to 30 years, 30, 35 years ago. So you I go ba- by my son's age.
0: So you basically <laughs> raised your children in a time where many people didn't even know about eating this way. You're, you raised your kids this way, in other yep, words. Yep,
1: got two, two vegan kids. We were, They were raised that way. I got to say, there's a little wavering in there, you know, uh, just because we vegetarian, oh, pregnancy, maybe I'll have get some eggs in there and then went back to vegan. You know, no reason to, but- not not being immersed in nutrition, people, most people, they don't. They we have doubts, and uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there about what's healthy. That that's another interesting element about both of these topics, of say planetary health and climate change, and uh, dietary chronic disease and health and nutrition. That there, there's so much misinformation out there, and it's it's complicated. these are confusing subjects. And it's never like one thing that, you know, tips the balance towards health and disease or tips the balance between um, being able to, uh, you know, keep our planet intact and having environmental degradation. It's always several elements involved. That's another um, similarity to topics. So it's complicated and it's hard to make decisions. And that's, uh, based on all this information, and how much of it is misinformation, and that's another—that's a big reason why I wrote this book. There's a lot of basic science in the book. You know, I didn't—I didn't know what your husband did for a living. You say he's a climatologist. What is that? What is a climatologist? Well, it is a scientist who is trained and uses um, specific tools in order to uh, 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 measure. Uh, the the different elements of our climate, which is different than weather, because climate has to do with a whole global atmosphere and effect of um, uh, long term effects of weather and uh, temperature change um, over time, and um, use use these tools to see what the trends are. You know, are we uh, is the planet getting warmer? Is the sea level rising? Is has that happened in the in the past? And is is it uh, bound to happen in the future. So a climatologist um, in their specialties will look at the research and use tools in order to to measure change in climate.
0: Interesting. So did your kids uh, like being vegan or vegetarian growing up? Did they ever rebel against it? Are they happy that they eat this way now? Are they raising their families this way?
1: No grandkids yet, but they're coming <laughs> at some point. I assure you. Um, I would say it wasn't a question. It was just what they did. They didn't question it. And of course, when they got to school, they saw that maybe they're different than others in that way. And I, I would never, I never had any pushback from them. I did, uh, at, at, when the Rose entered the teenage years, I guess uh, she would sort of want to look, look, eat like her friends and have the cheese pizza and all that. And she'd ask a few questions and we talked, gave us an opportunity to talk about why this is, you know, healthier and uh, more ethical not to eat cheese. And we we had a reason to talk about that. Um, and then we, you know, had pizza and it was great. So it was never really an issue, although the differences became clear for them. And they had to um, they had to think that through themselves. And now I have two robust, healthy and very Um, active, socially, uh, kids, and they're very integrated into mainstream life, and they're vegan. And it's not as weird, I guess, as it used to be when they grew up. So it's not really an issue. They're not, they're not, you know, you know, self-conscious about it.
0: I love to hear people's story about when they made the transition. And it's interesting how for so many people, it's a book. It's often Dr. Campbell's book, The China Study or a documentary like Forks Over Knives or even one that might have come before that. It, because it, it it just seems that the, the information is out there if people want it. But so many people just don't want to know, you know.
1: Right. Or can't access that information. They don't know what's out there. And as as I mentioned, there's so much misinformation out there. It's hard to tell what to what to go by. That is a major reason why I wrote
0: the book. Well, so tell me about the book. What propelled you to write it? Is this your first book? What was the process like? Was it fun? Was it hard? And what will a, a reader glean from getting this book? And I'll, I'll
1: put the link to buy it in the show notes as well as the chat. Thank you. Well, I can tell you about that. I can go through a PowerPoint. It's what whatever you'd like me to do. I, I have a little bit about that in, in the PowerPoint. Um, but what propelled me to write the book was a lot of what I've mentioned to you before. There's so much misinformation out there. And I wanted people to understand uh, what science is and that that's how we know. Uh, what decisions to base our decisions on? Uh, what is right? What is wrong? How do you analyze that? So I'll tell you a little bit about that if you'd like me to 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 That's share. It this would be a great time. And I'll just do that. Nice. So get my PowerPoint up here. It's being aided by some tools there. Okay, so Blake. It always works
0: when we practice it. <laughs> there we go.
1: Okay. Well, so I'll just tell you a little bit about this book. And um, I'll start with asking you a question. And that is, what if there was one thing that we can do in our lives that would be the biggest impact on ourself and the planet, the best tool that we have to maintain our health and that of the planet's, what would that one thing be? And How do we know, how can we be convinced that this one thing can save us? Well, I think you know where I'm going with this question, and it all has to do with our choices and what we eat. Eating does that. Eating is the most impactful thing that we can do because food is the most accessible tool that we have. Its effect is immediate. It's long-lasting. Nothing compares to its benefits. And a transition to a healthy diet, which of course, as AJ knows, is a whole food, and all of her followers, listening, it's a whole food plant-based diet. The, this diet not only addresses our health, but it addresses the biggest problems that we face as humans, which include rampant chronic disease, limited resources on our earth, and it is a built-in pattern of ethical treatment towards others, animals, and people. So, it allows us to control the amount of greenhouse gas emissions we are particularly personally responsible for our carbon footprint. And as Dr. Walter Willets, who is I would say the most eminent uh, nutrition researcher of our time, this um, generation, food is the most sing- is the single strongest lever to optimize human health and environmental sustainability on Earth. It's the food eating doesn't. So. The benefits you don't have to wait you know we don't have to wait for policies to be implemented or or our uh, uh, legislators to 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 change those laws or infrastructure to be built we just need to start eating smart and that's what chef aj tr- has been teaching us for years and years and years eating smart there is no more profound single action in our power to improve not only our health health but the world it's simplicity defies, it affects. And I just could see AJ just shaking her head saying, I'm not right. So I'm I'm here to support everything that uh, Chef AJ's been trying to teach you. But in terms of um, the power that we have as humans, we're able to push beyond our planetary boundaries of health. It's a place that we have never been at before as humans, this uh perilous, fragile earth that we are affecting. And um, we just can't ma- maintain our earth at our present great abuse of, of resources. It leads to waste and environmental degradation and pollution and biodiversity loss. And we humans are doing that. We are pushing beyond our planetary boundaries and we're pushing beyond our east boundaries of homeostasis of where it wants to be to find its optimal health. This pushing beyond our body's boundaries makes us prone to chronic disease. It leads to pre- premature death and all of the chronic illnesses that we're so familiar with. It's it's, it's our habits that are pushing us and our boundary, our planet beyond its boundaries. So the Earth's planetary boundaries, there are nine. And this concept of planetary boundaries was introduced to us uh, in 2009 by a bunch of a group of scientists to sort of um, indicate the the areas of limitations that our boundaries have. And there are lots of them. There's land and freshwater use and um, the chemicals that we put into them and uh, uh, what the what what are stored in the land? There's climate change and biodiversity. So there's nine limits of those, and we are pushing those boundaries. And and this this uh diagram sort of shows that we we've gone beyond safe operating space of many of them. And the, and the, this uh this diagram keeps getting updated, and we see more and more. Um, orange going into red, which indicates that we've gone beyond the safe limits of our of our planetary boundaries. Novel entities are chemicals. Um, acidification, I think we've reached all, uh, we've breached already, and uh, you can see that the um, integrity of land, biosphere, and water has been breached. So I see climate change um, as Earth's chronic disease. We need to limit coal, gas, oil. They have to be phased out. We also have to address our dietary patterns, our agriculture systems, and these will not transform without us. And when I say us, I mean us as individuals because our choices make things transform. Nothing changes in terms of policy without us asking for it. So the demands of agriculture is great, on land, water, fuel, uh, people, transportation, and commerce. And guess what uses the the biggest demand on resources? It is animal products, meat, dairy, poultry, and eggs. They use the most of of our precious resources. And producing them is up there with the most environmentally damaging practices that we do as humans. 40% of our land use is for crops and pastures that uh, are used for... Um. Well, th- that that are used for for um food and livestock uses eighty percent of that land, yet produces a fraction of the calories consumed worldwide, like twenty percent. So just that one little factoid, and it sounds like shocking, right? We're using eighty percent of our land to produce a fraction of the calories consumed worldwide. That is not sustainable. So how do we change it? Well, the lowest name fruit is right in front of us and that's eating a plant-based diet. It's the most potent action that we can take to address the biggest challenges we have because these feeds demand the most resources, animal foods and uh, producing them is environmentally damaging and it uh, uses the most water and it's the biggest source of water contamination. It's wasteful and it's inefficient. So replacing them with wholesome plant foods not only improves our health, it lowers our risk for disease, and it's the most accessible action can take for change. And how do we know this? Well, there's reams of research on it. And this concept of gathering that research and evidence and understanding is called science. And I spend the first section of the book talking about what science is and what it's good for and what we can use it for. But it. So there's a there's a method to this gathering of information. It's not, you know, arbitrary. Scientists gather evidence and they use them to model what say the climate is, and they use the well-established laws of physics and chemistry in order to make some assumptions. They run these models, like of how the sea level is rising, for instance, um, into the past and see what happened in the past. And they compare it with future possibilities. And it's all based on this data that they have accumulated, they continue to research and they document the trends that they see. And that's how we know uh, what trajectory find is going to. And you know the trajectory is serious. It's like a disease. Get like if you're diagnosed with cancer, you have to deal with. It. If you have a chronic disease, avoiding it is going to make it worse. So we need to address it. And the climate is the same way. The as sooner as we address it, the more we do, the more control we have, and the least impact it will the the change will have. So I see that's how why I see. Climate change as the Earth's serious chronic disease, and we know we know that things are changing because there are clear and concise indicators of global warming. And I list them in the book, and I won't go through them here. But there's ten, and um, I talk about also what methane is and what carbon dioxide is, because I think generally, unless we're a scientist, it's it's hard to understand the effects and and how uh, it's measured right? So I talk about methane and its lifetime in the atmosphere. It doesn't hang around for a long time compared to carbon dioxide. Uh, carbon dioxide hangs around a lot longer, uh, 25 to, to 36 times uh, more methane does than, than, I'm sorry, carbon dioxide uh, stays around much longer, but methane is much more powerful, 25 to 36 times more powerful in trapping disease. So how does that work out Um, It means that methane is a really powerful global warmer in the short term, whereas carbon dioxide is a really powerful global warmer in the long term. So that means we have an entry, right? We have a way to lessen um, global warming pretty immediately, and that is by limiting the amount of methane that we emit. And where does methane come from? Well, many sources. But one big one is from cows and manure. It also comes from wetlands and permafrost, which is starting to melt, and other uh, biological <laughs> way, uh, elements, including you know rice. The way we create, we, the way we grow rice, but cows and manure and landfills are big sources of methane. Um, so in the book, I talk about drivers of chronic disease. And those include you know, excess fat and saturated fat, as well as animal protein. And in lifestyle, for instance, for osteoporosis. And I know you've heard a lot of this from Chef AJ, So um, she's uh, she's trying to teach you as as I do that our habits drive disease and overweight, which can lead, which makes us more prone to disease and uh and, and metabolic risk. So, we talk about drivers of chronic disease, and we have paralleled that with uh, the, the drivers of climate change. And of course, the question is all this information that you hear from scientists and you're hearing from me, you hearing from Chef Avery, can we trust it? We? Oh, that this is the right information to base our most important decisions on? Now, I think a lot of us struggle with that. So I I have a whole section in the book to talk about that. And I have a critical thinking checklist in the book to analyze anything. You know, how can I hear what I hear on social media or I hear in the news or I hear from Chef AJ and know that this is the correct information to make a decision on? Well, I give you a checklist to go by. Um, And we talk about trajectories, things that are rising in the same direction in both science and in uh, both in climate change science and in nutrition science. And things that are rising are listed here. They all are going in the same direction. They're rising. Methane levels, carbon dioxide, sea level rise, heart disease, diabetes, meat consumption, livestock numbers, and cancer deaths. So it's interesting that they're all rising like a hockey stick. And this is a hockey stick graph that's very famous for a, uh, Dr. Michael Mann's paper in 1998, 99 papers that show this, on the right-hand side, really thick and uh, large, um, steep rise in in these things, and these things are are listed on the left, uh, and including including which I didn't, I failed to add is uh, um, temperature rise. Those things are rising in the same direction. Can there be a connection? Well, it's hard to tell, and that uncertainty sows the seeds of doubt, and that seed of doubt keeps us from making it from changing our habits from changing how we eat from changing how we, you know, use electricity, and the amount of greenhouse gases that we are personally responsible for. So, you know. That's also this concept of uncertainty is different depending on who you're talking to, right? If you're talking to a judge, uncertainty is what we're fighting against. You know, want to know who's guilty and want to. In science, it's the seed of discovery, and uncertainty is baked in. So when uh, certain special interests want to stop us from, you know, being sure about something about the results of a test or of is climate change happening or is it based on human activity? They want to keep us in doubt and that keeps us from action. And that in itself is a misleading manipulation of, uh, of, of understanding of research. And this happens in climate science and nutrition science. It creates confusion and it keeps us from working towards change. So one question that I think about a lot is, you know, can we can we can we feed ourselves in this state of of global warming and in the future? How can we feed a growing population? What if the world consumed as much beef as as and animal products as we do in this country? Not personally, but in this country. Well, let's and you know, well a lot of scientists have thought about that, and there's a lot of research on that. And one showed that if the world just Increased their level of beef eating to 70% of what Americans eat, and the population can continues to rise and reaches 10 billion. Could we sustain a population and the planet eating that much beef? Well, the answer in this research and much well, a lot of others is no, we can't. So staying under this sort of magical number of two degrees Celsius warming limiting that warming to two degrees Celsius um, so that we don't have more serious climate events, it's practically impossible. So the researchers in this particular study says it just appears that substantial growth worldwide of beef consumption is incompatible with staying under that limit of two degrees Celsius. And that means our climate is in for a wild ride. The only way, according to this research, to meet that goal of staying under that target of warming is to reduce meat and dairy consumption, not increase to Americans' level, but to decrease meat and dairy um, so that the emissions levels of greenhouse gas emissions will be low enough to keep our planet from warming. So food, again, it's the single strongest level to do that, to optimize human health, as well as environmental sustainability. Um, and this is why beef takes so much more resources, a whole lot more water, more soil, more energy input, um, more energy use. It's just uh, the input to produce fertilizer itself is a huge, and that's a huge amount of greenhouse gas emissions. And there's no way we can have an animal food industry without fertilizing, because we are pushing our soil to grow a huge amount of grain to feed a huge number of living beings and then slaughtering them for food it's just a very quick turning over process that demands a lot of grain really quickly you could be feeding that grain to humans and that would feed everybody in the world so earth's chronic disease i would say is uh, climate change. And here's some courses on the menus and chapters in the book uh, that are based on, uh, in my book, Eating Does It, Healing Ourselves and Our Planet With Food. And they're based on tectonic plates. So you can see in North America, we talk about wildfire, but we also talk about uh, beef and protein and the wildflower fire of cancer going through our body. And um, we continue that theme throughout the world. Um, in Asia, the Asian on the Asian plate, we talk about uh rice, the growing rice, uh, and its effect on um, human health and the earth, and we talk about the biggest killer in China, which is stroke. So we have a a, a middle section talking about different parts of the world, and. Um elements of nutrition as well as climate events happening in most areas. And then I talk about solutions at the end of the book. Um, One my favorite chapter is the Arabian plate, talks a lot about olives and olive branches, bringing, uh bridging the areas and the regions of the Mediterranean. We talk about olives, oil, and obesity. And it's just a very um you know, relevant chapter to today when it talks about the different oils produced in that area, including crude oil, not only olive oil, but crude oil. So those are interesting parallels. We talk about food security in in terms of climate change and uh, the effects that uh, a warming planet has on crop yields and the effects of increasing population will have and what a shift to plant-based diets can do of course, it's the most efficient use of our calories. It's the most efficient way to grow food. And just as a comparison, 100 calories of grain uh, is similar to uh, the resources that would need are needed for just 40 calories of milk, 22 of egg, 12 of chicken, 10 of pork, three calories of beans. The you know if you compare the resources needed to create a hundred calories of grain to people. It compares with just three calories of them. It's just striking. So we need to consider everybody in this picture uh, when we talk about agriculture and choices that we have on eating are lucky enough, those listening to Chef AJ and this show are lucky enough to have these choices of what foods we eat. Not everybody does. And therefore, I think we have a moral duty, a bigger responsibility in making the right decision. Um I, I end the middle section of the book talking about um Ikigai or our reason our reason to live our mission in life and it it just really um culminates in in all these different elements of our 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 what being human is our mission in life you know our passions in life what we feel we need to do uh, while we're um, on this uh, land for a brief period of time. And, you know, our search for, for our own personal meaning. And just like nutrition and disease or health, it's not just one thing. You know, it's a culmination of many factors that allows for well-being including, you know, health and disease and the environment that we live in. It's a bunch of different determinants, but we do have choices and we can act on those choices. And to avoid catastrophe in terms of climate, we need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We need to do it uh, from a multitude of of actions. And that's where it gets personal. We need to lower the amount of greenhouse gas emissions by 45%. By 2030, and that means a rapid reduction of fossil fuel use, and that means changing agriculture, and that means a drastic reduction in meat uh, meat production and meat consumption. And you know what? This is it, folks. We have just run out of time. We don't have any more time to figure out, you know, big changes. That's why it starts with us personally. And if you can diet this is where we can start is the same things we reduce our own personal impact on this planet, not just greenhouse gas emissions, but acidification, eutrophication in the in the um, the acidification of um, of the oceans and the lack of oxygen in the oceans, land use and water use. It's part of diet folks. So I think it's a wild to to find these solutions to climate change, as well as adopting sustainable dietary habits. And what do you think that is? It's a whole food plant-based diet. So folks, um, I really, uh I really appreciate you listening and I'm stopping my my share so that you can see beautiful chef AJ again. Hello. Thank you for listening.
0: That was wonderful. You're very passionate about this, but how do you maintain hope? Because sometimes I feel, you know, as an almost 50 year vegan, that it is hopeless.
1: That's a really important question, AJ. And I think a lot of the hope comes from individuals. You know, it's such a big problem, right? Climate change, what, what can I do? I'm just one person. Well, it starts with our own habit. When those habits, look, you know, you're a perfect example of this, AJ. You have spent your lifetime on a quest to find health for yourself, right? What can you do? What's the most healthful diet that will allow you to lose and maintain weight that is uh, the optimum weight for yourself that will allow you to stay healthy? You know, has it been one thing? No, it's a multitude of things. And it's not just based on what you can do, but you have to start with your own habits, and that gives me hope. Because personally, I have control of my habits, and I'm I'm lucky enough to be able to um, choose the foods that I want that I want to eat. And I live in in a you know affluent country, an affluent society enough to you know have access to good food. So what gives me hope is that individuals it starts with an indi- individual. To, to make a movement and a movement to get to a tipping point that will um, demand change and force change. And that's what this was you and me and individuals and the work that we all do, starting with what we're working on. Well, that's, what do you
0: think one person can really make a difference?
1: Do I think one person can make yeah. a difference? Yes. Yeah. Think of individuals who we know personally have made a difference. I can think of one, T. Colin Campbell. How many people has he affected by his one book? Dr. Caldwell yes. Assistant, how many lives have he, has he saved? You know, John Robbins. Um, I, and the same goes for amazing climate scientists. Uh, you know, Michael Mann, who's written several books. He was chastised, just like researchers we know, like T. Conn Campbell. He was, he was chastised and alienated, and, you know, um, his career was affected because he followed the science. He, thought, and he And then he told people, hey, you know, here, here's the research that I've done comparing temperatures, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago to today. Temperatures rising really quickly. Here are the facts, you know. And, you know, he's affected the uh, lives of several people, just like Dr. Campbell did the same thing. He followed the facts. So can one person make a change? Yes. It starts with your own personal habits. And it starts on your plate. <laughs> it's it on your plate. Yep. Eating does I, always,
0: that. I always love that saying, peace beacons on your plate. It's so true. So mm-hmm. in your book, you talk about food rules. Um, what are your
1: food rules? Thank you. I really appreciate you asking me that. Um, there are four basic things. And when I am being interviewed, I sometimes forget. forget so I'm going to be sure you do. <laughs> I'm going to tell you exactly what they are. The first one, and, and I and I love this because, um, they you need to you, it has to be a conversation, and you'll know why in a second with you. Um, so the four basic rules starts with number one, which is the more whole plants that you eat, the better. That's rule number one: whole plant foods. And AJ, you're a master at uh, describing what that means. So I'm going to turn it over to you after I get to the four. The second rule is you're going to hate this one. And this there's a caveat to this one. Here's the second one. Don't sweat the small stuff. What I mean by that is you know what you should be eating. Chef AJ tells you what you should be eating, to so maintain your weight, to lose your weight, and to be healthy. But you go to a party, and you have a cupcake for a while. That is not the end of the world. That does not mean you stop on your trajectory. It's a little thing compared to the effect of her diet. So you don't split the small stuff. Just go back to what you know is right what AJ is teaching me. The third rule is eat the radial. You just eat the myriad of colors that whole plant foods are and produce because those, get, and that includes white, the color bomb but those colors are the same chemicals that are antioxidants that clean our clothes and protect us from the disease and keep us healthy. So the rain and of the rainbow. okay open my book again, AJ, you'll see the rainbow in all of the bacteria plants in the fruit, um, the, the plant-free kingdom that we have. So eat the rainbow and you can see the, you can see the beautiful colors of um, produce. And the fourth one is this. The fourth rule to go by is to eat as much as you want, as long as you are eating has it's fiber intact. So, intact fiber is only found in flat leaves. You don't find fiber in anything animal. You don't find any fiber in eggs, or milk, or beef or the fish, we find in whole plant foods. Okay, now that I've told you my four food rules, let's talk about the caveats because there are. One is there are um you know high fat whole plant foods like nuts and avocados and coconut, which if you are you know suffering from a chronic disease or you're needing to manage your weight, you may not want to eat a whole lot of product. I mean you need to you need to have a little bit of common sense with that, and of course, um, we'll the other caveat is you need to work with your doctor if you're, if, particularly if you have a chronic disease. And there are may, maybe some things that you can eat, like if you're gluten sensitive, you you know you can't eat any grain. And so there are some caveats if you have a chronic disease, you're not in, in um, optimal health, or if you need to um concentrate on today. So there's only four food rules. And I would love to hear Chef A.G.'s commentary because I'm sure she has some. She always does.
0: Well, no, I mean, I, I you know, when you talked about eating the rainbow, the first thing I thought about, like we just had Thanksgiving a week ago and we had 35 people over. Most of them were vegan and everything was beautiful and colorful. The delicata squash, the sweet potatoes. But when I think back to childhood, traditional Thanksgivings, the food was brown or, you know, or, you know, turkey, turkey. brown. Turkey's brown gravy's brown you know mashed potatoes are white and but you know there there's not a lot of color in animal there's no color in animal foods it's either red or brown basically you know yeah you know red which is the blood Right. So, so it's not, a, it's not a beautiful thing to eat. You know, it's funny because I volunteer at this uh, special school. I have th- these two volunteer jobs and one is at this special school and they have uh, uh, chickens and these chickens were born on November 15th. And there was like 20 of them and they were all in a coop and some of them were silver and black. And some of them were that what we think of, you always think of chickens as yellow because that's how you often see them. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to me because these students, they, they take such care to raise these chickens and love these chickens and hold these chickens as they're eating chicken. And it's like.
1: It's a disconnect.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's so weird. Like I always remember when I was, you know, I've been vegan since I'm 17, a veterinarian saying, how can you love one and eat another? I mean, and this was, it's different. Like ever, most people love dogs and cats and they don't think about maybe cows and pigs that way, but they were like, loving chickens and eating chickens. And it's like, it's just, the moral is so disconnected. It's discon- you know?
1: Where does that come from? You know, this concept that is sort of so ingrained, mm-hmm. since that, you know, the food in our plate is not related to the sentient being that may mm-hmm. be purring uh, at your foot. You know, it's, it's this disconnect that animals are, you know, somehow pets are different than the animals we eat. we don't, you don't see the food on our plate as animals. And it's been so ingrained that since childhood, as you say, that we just don't notice it. We're known to it. And so it takes a little bit of shaking up in our brain in order to think of of our food, to think of where the source of our food comes from. And that the animal foods were one sentient live life, animals who want to live like you do.
0: I'm curious, how do you feel, uh, and it's not there yet, I don't think, but lab-grown meat, do you think that will help the people that absolutely have to or want to eat meat? I mean, it's not going to be any healthier, obviously, but one of the things that I think it could help is there's a lot of vegans out there that have pets that either aren't vegan naturally like cats or that they have trouble, maybe they've adopted a dog older and they don't want to eat, you know, vegan dog food. That that would be my reason for promoting it or or, or supporting it,
1: you know? Yeah, I think that's a great and great use of growing meat. Another use could be transition for people who are so used to the, the standard of American diet or meat-based diet, but know that they should, for whatever reason, moves them personally. It could be chronic disease or what their doctor said, or it could be their concern for the earth. Um, have a hard time changing. It's also food addiction, as you know. Uh, It's, there's a hidden addiction in food that most of us don't acknowledge or realize. Not as that sugar, fat, and salt. are They hit on our pleasure receptors and change them. And we get, uh, they're a concentrated source of what we find in food naturally in the uh, plant food environment. But humans have been able to make it in such a concentrated form that is like a drug. It's similar to dopamine, and and uh, receptors in our brain. It 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 our brain to want more, and that's that's the problem. So in tr- in order to address such food addictions, do I think lab grown meat has a place in the future? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, do we need that to feed the world? Absolutely not. Yeah, and um, c- can it serve our own personal you know purpose of of, of living in a sustainable wor- world and uh, eating uh, a more plant-based diet. Yeah, it can serve a purpose. So I see it as, uh, a, a, your, your example is a perfect one, using it for specific um, needs like feeding our animals, as well as maybe a, a transitional food towards more whole plant But in terms of health, absolutely no reason to replace no regular grown meat flat lab grown no reason no reason at all for health in fact the more lab grown meat in our system well less healthy just like any other.
0: You know, it's funny. I just heard about something yesterday called meaty, M-E-I-T-I, that's made out of like mushrooms or something. And it's like, I haven't tasted it because my thing is, is I didn't even like the taste of meat when I had to eat it as a child. So I'm not looking for that substitute or that mouthfeel. But I mean, if it tastes like it, what is people,
1: I don't understand people's resistance, you know, because they're so used to the taste of meat. They can't, and there's this addictive quality to it. Which partly could be coming from the protein, not just the fast, but sugar and salt. Um, That they can't imagine a a a happy, fulfilling diet without it. That's why it's a it's a it's a brain thing and a a personal thing, uh, an emotional thing, and an addiction. People, I I think it's that cold, and we're just people don't want to change their habits partly because of that.
0: I think the addiction part is underplayed even, I don't want to say, especially by by many of the plant-based doctors, because I, 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 there's so many people, even there's people that know what to do, but have a really hard time doing it. And I completely understand yes. that. There's so many people that just can't even take the first step. And and what else could it be other than addiction? You know, I'm yes. talking about people that, that we both, we all know that have, you know, tremendous amounts of excess weights that, that is not just a visual thing, but they are suffering with all kinds of diseases like autoimmune disease, diabetes, and, you know, on multiple medications, and they don't even want to entertain a dietary change. If it's not, then yes. what, I mean, what is the reason then if it's not an underlying food addiction? That's what yes. I was. You know. Yes.
1: Yes. And people like you and me, we wrap our brains trying to figure out what why? You know, the evidence is clear. It's not just, you know, scientific evidence, but, you know, uh, case study, people around us, they change their diet and they eat whole foods and, hey, they lose weight and they get healthier. It's it's clear. But what is keeping people from making that that change? Well, I think bullseye, bingo, you said, I think um, addiction is a big part of that. When people don't, it's a hidden addiction because it's not like, you know, it's not like, you uh, opioids. it's it's to a lesser effect. But it's habits. Humans are stubborn and we don't like to change our habits. Part of it is is addiction, and part of it is
0: happens. I, I love what Dr. Frank Sabatino says: food addiction is the only addiction that, like, it, I mean, it's socially acceptable. You can do it in public, you can do it at your desk at school, your, your desk at work. It's just, it's really is yeah, it really be. is a mass addiction. Now, this question is just a fun question. Every guest on Chef AJ Live gets it eventually. What do you eat in a day, and what do you do for
1: exercise? Mm. AJ, I just watched your show. What right? you so cute, it's so <laughs> much fun, and you know. <laughs> I keep my, I keep my steamed vegetable water also, and I use it for, you know, whenever I cook whatever else, a stew or something, but now I'm going to start drinking it just like you. I'm drinking Um, it right now, my pot liquor. I love it. because Pot liquor, that's what you, that's that's, that's what it's called. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what do I eat Um, in a day? Okay. Well, so let me start. I either, and, and, uh, and I'll also give you a caveat with that so i either eat oatmeal or um, a green smoothie in the morning so let me give you a, and i usually have a smoothie in the morning so let me give you a caveat about that i have a smoothie that is just packed with all whole fresh leaves, which which includes homemade um, soy milk which i make at home um and uh kale and and a few and a couple of dates and fruit okay and you know i use frozen fruit so it's, it makes a smoothie now having said that when you put food in a blender and you, you masticate it and you break up the fiber, it's kind of the the carbohydrate and sugar is going to go right into your bloodstream really quickly. So that might need, not be the best breakfast for you, a smoothie. That might not be the best food for you if you are trying to control your weight, you have a metabolic uh, dysfunction like diabetes. So what I do should not be the, you know, the footprint of what everybody needs to do. So uh, the best, I think, uh, morning wholesome breakfast would be a bowl of oatmeal with fruit on, in it. it. Could be frozen or fresh. Uh, maybe if you if you need dates or a sweeter, like a little maple syrup, that's great too. I usually have a smoothie or or oatmeal. Uh, I usually have um, either a, a salad with beans in it for lunch or a leftovers. I always have leftovers. A stew, or I might make. I might make a sandwich if I have some really dense whole grain bread around. So uh, lunch would be just simple either leftovers or salad type of lunch, but usually with beans. And uh, dinner, I would have another maybe bean dish or a a grain dish uh, based on whole grains. And there's so many. It's not just rice. And I always would go with uh, whole rice or whole grain, like brown rice, of course. Which if you don't have you don't have brown rice, if you're eating ice, white rice. You're just throwing away all the good stuff, throwing away all the fiber and the the whole and the uh, the bran, which has all the nutrients and minerals in it that support health. So I would have a whole grain for dinner. So it, basically, my day would consist of having you know beans and whole grain, whole fruits and whole vegetables, and then for uh, any any snack or a or, uh, treat or sweet, I would have maybe some uh, dried fruit, maybe pour a frozen banana swirled up into an ice cream. Let's see what else would I have. And so I do have nuts in my diet uh, because I don't, my weight is very stable, So I don't, I don't, I'm one of the like ones You don't have to worry about eating too much high fat things in my diet. So I do have uh, coconut bases, uh, uh, in, in my in my recipes in my book, and I do have avocados and sandwiches sometimes if I do have that supply damp diet.
0: Lucky. How do you how do you move your body on a daily basis? Especially it's even colder where you live.
1: Well, I don't know if you can see, but um uh, my mm-hmm. my new the st- office in in my new little house is uh the fourth level up. And so there's three. Sets of stairs, and I run in, up and down the stairs all day long. And then when I I just want I need to get up and have a break for my computer, which I do need to do that a few times a day. I just dash outside while it's getting a little cold here in Massachusetts. But I run, I run. Uh, I'm a wimpy runner. I run around the block, run up to the trailhead. But I um I run and I walk every day, and I do. Oh, I do a uh, 40 minutes of yoga and calisthenics in the morning. That's what I. Do. Wow. Every morning by myself. Wow,
0: very, very, very dedicated. Is your book uh, just on Amazon, someone's asking, or is it also available in any bookstores?
1: It's not available in any bookstores. It is available on Amazon.com. Uh, you can also get it at the publisher. And if you are an instructor, a teacher, or uh, a health professional, and you want to buy several copies of them, you can get them through healthylearning.com you can get them at uh, quite a steep discount you order them using as a resource how long
0: long did it take you to write the book and was was it
1: challenging for you or was it fun it took me years and it was very challenging but it was also fun and it was a huge uh, process and discovery as well as you know interactions with amazing people and interviews with amazing people. So it was um it was it was an act of love, but it did take me, I would say, more than four years to write it and a lot of research. But you can see also I wanted to mention if we hold up the book again, um I was really lucky enough to get a, a wonderful supporter. I told you that you asked me earlier early on in this interview, you know, what sparked me to go to go plant based and who who what what were the, the what were the things that I did in order to to get on this trajectory? Well, I told you I read uh, Die for in America by John Robbins. You can see that the forward uh, in this book is written by Ocean Robbins, who is John Robbin's son. And he has taken the flag from his his father and continues his father work. his food revolution now. And he is very much an activist in this field of healthy living and healthy eating. That he learns from his father. And I'm really, really honored to have him as my uh, forward writer. Sir. That's fantastic.
0: What are some of the most, I guess I want to say easiest solutions that you outline in the book that people could just do today?
1: Hmm. I love that question. Another great question, of course, by master interviewer Chef AJ. Um, that's a great question. And 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 you should and and people should heed that and make their own sort of daily or weekly, you know, monthly goals. And so one could be make a pot of brown rice, and then you have so many uh, so, uh, foundations of so many meals in the fridge. You can make a big pot of rice, you can have, uh, you can have uh, stir-fried vegetables in broth with rice for dinner tonight, and you can have rice porridge with plant milk and fruit in the morning, And you have leftover rice for uh, another rice dish with say um, refried beans and Spanish Spanish rice with, with tomatoes the next night. So one would be make a pot of rice and use them in many meals. Another could be make a pot with yourself to add a vegetable to every meal. Every meal should have vegetables as far as I'm concerned. So that could mean, okay, I'm going to have my normal stew or whatever I, you know, my go-to recipe from my mother that I'm going to make tonight. Make sure to have a side of steamed spinach or broccoli. But every meal that I have, uh, I need to think of a vegetable, particularly green vegetable to have. Another would be, I'm going to have a salad for dinner at least five times this week. And that should be my norm. A salad of fresh, raw, mainly raw. Uh, vegetables, which could be lettuce and, and uh, spinach and carrots and beets and broccoli and uh, your choice of fresh, whole, particularly green vegetables. So that would be make, so my suggest, suggestion would be look at your own life and make your own smart goals, goals that you can attain within a particular time period, like you know, in a week. I'm going to just uh make sure that the following week, Will include a vegetable at every meal, whatever you know. Your what, whatever goal you know is attainable in your life. Well, what were some of the goals that you've made, Chef Chef AJ, where you oh. were really conscious about trying to maintain your weight for your health? Well,
0: let me think. Well, I, I would say the biggest one is just no junk food in the house. Like Doctor Lyle told me when I met him in 2011, you must work harder on your environment than you do yourself. So that for me. That was the biggest goal. And I've kept that goal. And I think that's where a lot of people stumble.
1: That's a good one. So that could be a great goal. Okay, this coming week, I'm going to look in my pantry. I'm going to go into my shelves. I'm going to go through my kitchen and I'm going to identify every element of junk food that I have in my house. I'm going to get rid of it. That's my goal for the week. That's a great one right there.
0: Yep. And then, you know, for me, it was, you know, the exercise was something I had to like, I didn't start exercising until I was in my 50s. So I had a, you know, that was something, but like you say, it wasn't even so much goals. It was more like habits. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have motivation.
1: I don't think you motivation lasts anyway. You, you you just have habits in place. Yeah. Yeah. If you're relying on willpower to diet, no, and lose weight through a particular diet, that's a low calorie diet, for instance, how long is that going to last? You're going to feel depleted. You're going to feel like you're not, um, you're going to feel like you're deprived. So that's not going to last. You need to think of goals that are sustainable in your, in your own, in your own life and create your own habits. You need to create new habits. Exactly. I agree with that.
0: Absolutely. Let me see if there's any questions in the chat. Oh, here's one from Jesse. Are you optimistic that the world can deal with climate change?
1: And if so, why? Another good question. Thank you, Jesse. Am I optimistic? Again, if I think of us as individuals, um, I I am, because humans have made uh, made these changes in the past in order to survive. One example and uh, that I, I mentioned in the book are um uh CFCs, is that what they're called? The um uh, plastic, the the um the, the the it's a greenhouse gas that we we saw in the uh in, oh the, that was affecting the ozone layer layer and in the seventies and eighties we were the scientists were able to see that our the layer that is protecting our earth from um uh, from the harsh rays of the sun was being depleted. There's a hole in our ozone, and it was the CFCs that is uh, produced when we make plastic and and we uh, use that plastic that is depleting the ozone and and also the refrigerants, refrigerants you know are a lot of the chemicals that allow us to use uh, clean you know, refrigerars and refrigerators so we were able to address that in a very short period of time because we knew our survival sort of dependent on our, uh uh our, our well-being dependent on it and as a, uh as a Species beyond just our nation. We changed the rules. We changed industry in order to lower the amount of these chemicals into our into our um, atmosphere. And by jove the the ozone pole uh, has been shrinking and shrinking, and it's almost gone. It's going to be gone in another decade or so. Was it forty years? Sorry, don't remember that that factory If we continue on the trajectory of you know not using in our in our industry. So there's an example. Am I hopeful? Yes, human have we humans can change and we know what we need to do in order to A get healthier, changing our diet towards a whole, whole food plant-based diet, and B uh eliminating the fossil We know that's those are the answers. Um, and the motivation comes from within we have to choose to do it ourselves. And, and that makes me hopeful because you're listening to the show right now, Jesse. As, as all of um, Chef AJ's followers are, if you're interested in nothing, making a change and honey good, that's where the hope is. So yes, I need we we need to maintain that hope in order to motivate change. That's what motivates change. So keep what, hope keep keep hopefuls that reason.
0: You know, you mentioned processed food. What what impact do you think that has? Because, you know, when we I I've when you go to these vegan events, I mean, like even Summerfest, bless them, there's a lot of junk and there's so many vegans that just eat a junk food, vegan diet. And, you know, maybe they have weight problems, maybe they don't, but, you know, I can't see how that can
1: be healthy in the long run, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I wouldn't put that, and those processed foods uh, generate the most waste and they uh, are, are the uh health. Those are the those are the two, I see three categories of food. And those two categories, which include processed foods and animal foods are the most damaging both to our personal health and to the, the planet and uses the most resources. I think of all the packaging that are that is involved in those um, processed foods, let alone the health depletion that, that food offers. So what do I think of these processed foods? Uh, we don't need them. They're a detriment to our health. And we need to steer ourselves away from those as well as animal foods in order to maintain the health of ourselves, our personal health, and our planetary health. And we do that by our habits. We do that by not buying them, and by buying the whole fresh produce that we can find in farmers' markets, where your area has farmers' markets, and it's also seasonal if in North America in the East, like I do, yeah. um, as well as uh, finding them in uh, the frozen section of our grocery stores whole plant piece. that's 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 what maintains health and, and that's what um you know, is the antithesis to the processed foods great well thank you so guys i keep putting a
0: link for this wonderful book there's still talk about the recipes for a bit you know like did you make them up what what there there's some very international recipes in here Dominican, for example, I see one. There's things with plantains. There's American-type recipes. Mm
1: -hmm. They're all internationally inspired. They're all my recipes, but they're all inspired by the different ethnic cuisines that I cover in the uh, center, the the middle part of the book, Mm -hmm. which is areas, tectonic, based on tectonic plates, areas all around the world. So the Asian plate has Chinese-inspired, Food, Chinese inspired recipes. And I some of them I talk a little bit about the origin of these foods, like Chinese food takeout. It's an American thing. It's not from China. Uh, Chinese brown vegetables and in, in Chinese brown sauce or tofu and Chinese. That's an American thing. But um we think of it as uh Chinese food. But all of the recipes, and there are about 66, I think, in the in the book, are my recipes, but because I've made them healthier, that all of them have no oil, no salt, or options for no salt, hopefully no salt, and no sugar. None of them. They're all gluten. So they're a little bit adopted. They're a little bit tweaked, but they're all adopted from the um, inspiration of uh, cuisines from around the world. Nice.
0: Thanks. So, Kathy, what message do you want to leave our viewers with today? And
1: where can they find you if they want to connect with you? Oh, thank you. Well, I think Jesse hit on the question, which is hope. And I guess the message I would leave people with is that, you know, we have the power for big change. And yes, it's individual. The power starts with our habits and it starts with the food in front of the in front of us. So big changes can happen as chef aj is a model of you can take control of your health and lose weight you can also affect your personal carbon footprint and that affects the trajectory of climate change starts with your it starts with what's on your plate and that is hopeful i guess that is the message that i'd like to like to to lead people with and what was the other thing you asked me chef aj you asked me two questions. <laughs>
0: right. It's like do do you, do you have a social media presence or a, I know you have a oh. website it's in the notes if people want to follow you or connect with you where yes. what's the best
1: place to go? counterpollard.com up uh, so feel free to contact me there. And uh, I have a couple of ways that you can get a hold of me there and I'd be happy to speak at your your organization to I invite me there. So I would I would send them to that, Katherinefoller.com and the link to my book is there as well as AJ putting it in her nice. uh regime.
0: I was I was so. gonna let you go, but there's another question from Jesse. What do you see is the future of energy production globally?
1: Hmm. Well, we need to transition to electric and you know, it's sort of an exciting time in that uh, new sources of energy is have yet to be discovered and in, in, uh, implemented. So in terms of the future, we have uh, what's available now, which is, you know, solar and wind transition, but there's also, uh, nuclear is uh, often touted as a transitional, you know, uh, source of energy. As well as um, some, so many um, sources of energy that we haven't developed yet, or that is not developed a, on a large scale. So I can't even predict. But we we have so many sources of energy now at our fingertips that we can change to, um, and we just need to make the start. The start is converting away from Yeah.
0: Well, what's good for your health is good for the planet and good for the animals. It's a yes. A triple win
1: yes that's a great way that's a great way to, to end
0: Thank you. it's so great seeing you again all right yes now here's the thing next time i see you you better remember our high school song anybody okay. else A okay. uh, grand high 1977 here's the song i don't know sometimes youtube you know i get aj's
1: that. one year behind me i was nine i was 1976 so go. So. Yep. Also, sometimes sometimes
0: when you sing on Zoom, it mutes it, but here's the song, guys. Oh, hail Alma Mater, we sing with a vibrant cry to pledge our allegiance, to grant our senior high. We vow this together in every endeavor, we proudly uphold our name with brown, orange, and white as the sign of our might we hail to grant's glorious name now how many of you in your 60s remember your high school song not me
1: so i really (laughs) appreciate hearing it again but yeah those were our school colors orange and brown yeah which
0: which were halloween colors which i found so interesting like we were wearing halloween Halloween colors all year round yeah i'm very sure Go, well, It's such nine. a pleasure talking with you, AJ. Same here, Kathy. Please don't, don't be a stranger. Take care.
1: Yes, take care. Thank you for your work. Really thank appreciate it. You. And thank you for this wonderful
0: new book. Guys, check it out. The Link is below. Thank you. And yep. check it out. Yeah, congratulations. It's like having a baby birth in a new book, isn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah. Makes That's you right. wonder how many more babies will, will come out,
0: but yep. probably yep. not a lot. People are saying a couple of Valley girls, absolutely. And guys, please come back tomorrow one hour earlier because, you know, Dr. Rogers, he likes to talk at 8 a.m. Pacific time and Dr. Peter Rogers will be our guest. Take care have a great weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.